what people, of course, they don't realize this is that what about the recruiter who's trying to evaluate that stack of resumes without the advantage of a system like the CIV, where the first one is chronological, the second one is skills-based, the third one is experiential, the fourth one, you know, whatever. They're hunting and pecking all over the place trying to create similarities between these resumes. What ends up happening is recruiters are, they're, they're, they're doing a fast screen If they don't see something they're looking for right away, they throw it away. And now suddenly you're in the reject pile. Hi, I'm Renata Bernardi, and this is the Job Hunting Podcast, where I interview experts and professionals and discuss issues that are important for job hunters and those who are working to advance their careers. So make sure that you subscribe and follow, and let's dive right in. Michael Inger's career in supporting the needs of the recruitment and selection function parallels the creation and the evolution of the ATS system, the applicant tracking system. So, of course, Michael is an amazing repository of knowledge of all things relating to the automation of recruitment and selection of candidates. And in fact, both the technological and the humanistic side of the entire recruitment and selection process. Michael is the co-founder and CEO of Res- Resume Save, a SaaS startup focused on improving the productivity of the recruitment process, starting with evaluating and ranking resumes. Michael has been in the global talent acquisition space for over 20 years. His focus is in using process and technology to improve recruitment for the candidates, for the hiring managers and the recruitment team. The message from Michael is clear. If your resume is not written for ATS compliance, you run the risk of it being eliminated from the recruitment process, no matter how good a professional you are. So in my time with Michael, we discuss the story of this podcast. Then we talk about Michael's career and how it parallels the design and development of ATS. Then Michael explains the recruitment and selection funnel, comparing recruiting with ATS versus recruiting just with humans (laughs) and um, what, what difference it makes. He also then describes in detail recommendations for job candidates on how to apply with ATS in mind. It is possible to cheat the ATS system and get you into the shortlist, but that will not get you a job. So we also talk about the ethics of being um true to your skills and your strengths and your background. Look, there is a lot of content here. It's one of the most important episodes, I believe, that I have done for those of you who are really in the thick of it and applying for jobs. This is a must listen or a must watch if you're seeing this on YouTube. So stay with us and have a great time. I will touch back with you at the end of this episode. The show is, oh, it started back in 2019, Michael, that was (laughs) pre-pandemic. Yeah. And we serve a community of professionals and executives that work in the corporate sector, nonprofit and public sectors. And and at the time, there weren't that many shows out there to cater for that group of Mm -hmm. people. And I have to admit that at the beginning of the pandemic, my audience went down for about two to three months when people were so focused on the news 
and so focused on understanding what COVID was and everybody was just glued to the TV back again, you know. It it had been a while since uh, news outlets were so popular, right? And uh, that was a very common situation for all podcast shows. We all kind of lost a bit of ground. But we quickly made up for it in the second half of 2020 and it's been very strong ever since because especially in my area of expertise, which is job hunting and career development, first of all, a lot of people lost their jobs and people that were unemployed before the pandemic couldn't find work. And then secondly, now we have this situation where people tired of where they are and probably postponed changing because of the pandemic. We tend to be very conservative in our decision making. You know, it's not really advisable to change jobs when there's so much going on um, externally and impacting the economy. So people postpone some decisions to leave. And now we have this flood of resignation which people have now named the Great Resignation. I'm sure you've heard of it. It started in mostly in the US, but there has been reverberations of it in other countries mm-hmm. and, and even in Australia, where I'm based. So the show then became quite popular. <laughs> yeah. And it's been really great to have that audience to talk to because funny thing, my husband said, oh, I think you're going to run out of ideas after four or five shows. And it hasn't happened. It's been no. 100 and something. And yeah, 125, still... 126 on your on the podcast site. Yeah. That's 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 significant longevity. Yeah, yeah. But it goes to show that there is a real uh, audience and there is a a need in the market to address Mm -hmm. the job candidates. And somebody like you, I think, will add great value to the show because of the experience that you have on the other side, which sometimes job candidates don't understand. Right. (laughs) It's it's true. (laughs) So I'd like to to hear first about your your story. Tell me about your career. Okay. Lovely to hear from people's backgrounds? So I have been in talent acquisition for about 20 years. This is my perhaps my third career, if you will. Um, I was in transportation and then also technology consulting for um, a few years. I started with a company that now no longer exists called Spherion. And they were their outsourced staffing and uh, recruitment process outsourcing firm. We were acquired by Ronside SourceRight. And about that same time, 2009, I was brought in-house. I was a consultant to them for almost six years. And they brought me in-house. Spent uh, about five years there managing technology and implementation of RPO engagements. I left there and I went to a company called Aon Hewitt uh, in their RPO division. And I was running global client delivery. So I had 17 accounts and 600 or so people working for me. Uh, About 16 months into that, they put us up for sale. So I got to be on the selling side of an M&A, which is kind of interesting, sitting across the table convincing people why they should buy us. We were picked up by a company called People Scout, which is a component of uh, True Blue, a staffing company here in the US. And I initially started uh, managing a portfolio in the client delivery organization. And about a year and a half in, the, the president said, well, I'd like you to run global sales. And I said, well, I've never run sales before. And she said, yes, you have. You've been doing sales your entire career, which is true. It, you know, Especially in, in the kind of industry I was in, it was a collaborative sales effort. And so I ran global sales for a while. And then she said, well, I want you to do strategy and I want you to do product management and I want you to do implementation and I want you to do sourcing and I still want you to do sales. I said, oh, okay, well, that's that's a broad 
mixture, fine. We'll sort Michael, through that. Michael, what were you selling? Tell us what you were selling, because I think Sell, that's So in this case, the, the sales would be RPO engagement. So we would be right. selling outsourced recruiting services to companies of all sizes. And this could be anything from doing sourcing for a company all the way through the entire recruitment lifestyle. So we did that, wow. all of that kind of, of work. Uh, and what, left, what sort you know, of clients, Michael? Sorry to Oh, yeah, all kinds of clients. So from Fortune sort of 50 clients, one of my personal clients was the largest hospitality company in the world. We had airlines, we had banks, we had manufacturing companies, we had healthcare companies it was it was anybody who was looking for a better way to do hiring now in some cases it was hiring everything in in the case we had a, a pharmacy chain and we were only hiring their call center people so about three percent of their hiring they were doing the other 97 percent we were doing three percent it just it depended on what the client was looking for smallest client I had was we had one and a half people working on it a recruiter and a part-time sourcer and we we hired five nurses a month for it was a small hospital and that's all they needed was five nurses a month and that's what we were hiring for them. And so it's just quite the gamut of different kind of clients that are looking for these sort of outsourced services. And Michael, was it a mix of, you mentioned you had a recruiter, was it a mix of the human aspect and the automation or was it mostly the automation? When I first started, we were, it was just about the people and whatever technology the, the client had. Actually, when I first started in the RPO space, people didn't have technology. Applicant tracking systems were new. And part of what we were doing is we were implementing an applicant tracking system and taking over the hiring. That was a very common kind of deal in the sort of 2006, seven timeframe. What we did eventually is we developed our own technology suite. And at one point I was in charge of that. We had a, had a product called Affinix and Affinix would handle everything from AI based sourcing all the way through booking interviews and managing the, the candidate interaction at the end of the process. So that entire journey, if you will, could be handled within our technology. Okay. But and what then COVID hit. You do after that? Well, <laughs> COVID hit. And oh, okay. uh, as is not unusual in the RPO space, we lost 60% of our revenue in three weeks. We literally. And so I was part of a large group of people that was let go, just said, well, look, you know, we're not going to sell anything until this is over. So, um, you know, ha have fun. And so I left, started doing some consulting and was recruited, if you will, by Resume Civ, where I'm, I'm currently, to be a co-founder and also the CEO to set the company up. We have a product that's at the very front end of the recruiting cycle where we evaluate and rank candidates based on their resume, automating the process that recruiters go through, increasing the recruiter productivity in terms of evaluating large numbers of candidates. Right. And so I've been there for almost two years. I spent the first year or so setting the company up, getting the application built, launching the application. And then I've taken a step back and I'm focused primarily on fundraising and advising on marketing and things like that. And we've got an a CEO who's now handling the day-to-day -day. Okay, and I'm doing some consulting at the same time. Michael, I'm curious to know, I mean, and, I, and, and this is basically, you know, educational, instructional for the listeners. I'm assuming that they tapped on your shoulder to come on board at Resume Receive because of your network. That was part of it. Part of it was actually the person who reached out to me and I had worked together in uh, 98 and 99, just wow, to show okay. you how, how far back a network can go. Yes. And 
We had stayed in touch lightly over the years, a little bit more when LinkedIn came into play. And so he saw that I had no longer working for People Scout, and he reached out and said, look, we'd like to talk to you. You know, Are you interested in, in doing this for us? So sure, it, networking is a, a critical component of just about anybody's career. There's a commonality there between what happened to you and what happened to me at the beginning of COVID, because I was also fully employed by consulting to clients. So I had my mm-hmm. own business, but I lost all my retainers as soon as COVID hit. And in fact, yeah. those very high priority projects that I was working on since then are not high priorities anymore <laughs> because right. of the way, you know, like energy bills are so expensive for our company. We need to become greener. And now the company is empty. So I'm sure the energy bill is not an issue anymore. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so that sort of consultancy that just doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, I hope everybody will ever will engage in net zero targets, but it, it, it just shifted where focus is. But anyhow, the only client I had that I gained during the pandemic was a, a large uh, government, federal government department here that contacted okay. me because of work that I did in the 90s. <laughs> ah, it's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? It like is it? amazing. Yes, yeah, I, yes. just, I, I actually just finished a project working for a company that recruits for the trucking industry. And uh-huh. so I did work in the trucking industry in the 90s just as you say. And obviously, I've done a lot of recruiting lately. And those two things together are what got me the opportunity. There you go. So that's fantastic. So you said you took a step back and now you have a new CEO. That's also very common with startups, isn't it? When you need that expertise and and that growth spurt and somebody with your experience would have helped. But now you need to take somebody else to run the operation so that you can focus on, like you said, fundraising. Tell us what Resume Sieve does. And you know, sure. where does it operate or plugs into that assembly line of recruitment and selection processes? So we're at the very front end of the funnel, the very the, near the front end, I should say. The front end is sourcing, right? That's getting candidates somehow. Once you've got the candidates, you got to evaluate them. Typically, about 70% of the time a recruiter spends on a requisition is evaluating resumes, whether they're in an applicant tracking system or they're getting them through paper or maybe electronically from uh, a job board, there's still a lot of time spent evaluating. And so the idea for Resume Civ came from a small staffing company that, that a couple of my co-founders had built. Their recruiters were drowning in dealing with resumes. And so they built the software to evaluate fairly and consistently the resumes that they were getting for their job requirements. We took that idea and rebuilt it so that multiple it can be used by multiple Uh, organizations. You feed your resumes in, you set up some criteria for what you think that you want the person to be able to do from a skills perspective, what what kind of education do they have, language skills, etc. And then all the resumes can be evaluated literally in a matter of seconds. What's interesting about that is that, you know, there, there are other systems that can kind of do that. The challenge is then you take your short list to the hiring manager. The hiring manager says, oh, but what if, and suddenly you have to go back and do that all over again. Well, for us, it's just a matter of changing a couple of settings and you can evaluate that entire stack of resumes again almost instantaneously. Oh, you get some more resumes, add those to the to the heat and evaluate them all again on the same the same criteria. It, it, 
we think you can save as much as 70% of the time that you would spend evaluating resumes, which net can cut as much as 30 to 35% of the time out of your time to fill. So there are a couple of ways you can you can, you can evaluate that. Then this is that either you can do with less recruiter because you can have your recruiters with a larger workbench, or you can keep the same number of recruiters and just their productivity goes up. And so you can you can process more jobs, you know, if depending on what your circumstance is. But it's it, we think there's a pretty significant change. So just, I, I'll give you one numeric example. We had a, a small company. They did a parallel exercise. They were hiring a chief revenue officer. They brought in 150 resumes. The CEO and the head of HR spent two weeks evaluating the resumes. And then they picked somebody they were going to hire. They loaded that information into the CIV. It took them about two hours to load the information, get the job set up, and do the evaluation. The person they hired was number two uh, in the evaluation list that we had come up with. Wow, and that's so, a very good validation. Two hours on one hand versus two weeks on another. It, it makes yeah. a lot of sense. And, and then you add to it the consistency and taking out of it at least initially some of the bias that, that can creep in. You know, you think if a recruiter, even a good recruiter is evaluating, let's say 30 resumes, are they looking at number 30 the same way they looked at number one? It's difficult to, to keep in no, your mind. Can... Are you consistently evaluating? I speak from experience. It's very exhausting and you have to rest all the time to pick up yep. the same level of energy and give those candidates a fair go. Yep. Now, I think candidates listening to this podcast because you know, they self-select into this podcast. So I'm assuming many of them will be familiar with ATS systems. What's mm-hmm. the difference between what you're saying and what mm-hmm. the ATS system is? Or is it the same thing? No, it's it's, it's different. The, typically, what the ATS will do is it'll collect all the information about the, the applicant and may even ask them some pre-screening questions. One of the challenges with that is that once you've asked them the pre-screening questions, you can't ask them new ones. And you have to ask them, at least in the U.S., you have to ask them all the same question. Otherwise, you, you're accused of bias. Most of the time, the ATS doesn't evaluate the candidates. Some of the systems have some rudimentary ranking or keyword searching that will bring up those kind of resumes, but they don't look at, at the bulk of the resumes all together at any given time. So we can be used either on a standalone basis or as a bolt-on to an ATS. We've actually pre-configured already with Zoho, Greenhouse, Bullhorn, and we're working on iSIMs. So four fairly significant ATSs as those go. We're looking at Team Taylor, which is a European-based uh, uh, system that get, that's used a lot in EMEA, all of which enhances the process. So where a recruiter in Zoho gets 150 candidates, they have to go through those 150 candidates. Either they're looking at them on the screen or they're printing out a piece of paper and they're evaluating these candidates. With us, a couple of clicks and you're loading all those into the sieve, they all get rank ordered, and then you can decide from there which ones that you send to your hiring manager. So we're really simplifying preliminary evaluation process in a way that's consistent and repeatable. Michael, it's funny that I'm thinking of the people listening to this episode going very, very concerned as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and I and I think that that's a pretty fair sentiment. Um, you did mention that these systems can be built to remove biases and mm-hmm. I and I want you to expand on that but I'd like to, you to offer some important recommendations for mm-hmm. those that are putting together resumes that will go through this systems, the ATS, the resume sieves. Uh, a lot is being written about how to comply with ATS and ATS compliant resumes are you know there's yeah. lots that's being written about it. I think some of it is myth but 
You know, I'd like your expert opinion on what is true about that compliance issue. And if that can, let's say a resume with lots of imagery or tables and things can really mess up with the readability once they go through something like the resume sieve or other ATS systems. The commonality, the, the issue is that most of the ATSs don't do their own parsing. They buy parsing services from somebody else. And so it's how good is that parser? There are a couple of things that are going to trip up the parser. The first is, as you talked about, is sort of a complex resume that does, it doesn't have dates. It's not necessarily chronological. We're kind of going back to the simple resume that we went away from when everybody thought that the resume and the color paper and the size of your font was so critical to you getting hired. Well, now machine suggesting it. The machine doesn't care. The machine would be perfectly happy with text, just plain old text, because that's the easiest thing to read. Where where we find challenges is you've, you've got it in columns and you've got things in boxes. It, it looks nice on the page, but it's difficult for a system to interpret that. Now, our, our system utilizes a third-party product that actually has some artificial intelligence that's learning how to read resumes. And so it, it comes across something and it learns how to read it the next time. It sees it. And so that allows for a more effective data transfer process. It, you know, if you've done job, if you've applied for jobs recently, you'll know that there, there are certain systems, they say, okay, upload your resume and it gets your name, maybe, and your email address, but your, your education is all squirrely and your jobs, the dates, the titles, it's, it, it, you end up having to fill out the whole application yourself. And, mm-hmm. and some are worse, some are worse than others uh, in terms of the, the ATSs that are out there. And so it really is moving towards keeping things as as simple as possible. So what you see, for example, is that a lot of of the ATSs now have integrated with LinkedIn because LinkedIn is very structured data. And so they can easily pull in the LinkedIn data and match that up with the fields. But resumes, it's more difficult. You know, do you have the skills at the top? Do you have the skills at the bottom? My resume, for example, has a general statement and then it has some challenges that I addressed with some successes, no dates, no company names. Then it has some company names. My resume is fairly complicated and it doesn't, it doesn't parse very well. I know that. Those are the kind of things. It's, so if you're a job, searcher, if you're putting things into a system, it doesn't matter what it looks like. You know, good grammar, good language. Yes, it's organized. It's easy to read. That's the kind of thing that you want to focus on if you want to get through the, the filter. But uh, there was an article just recently in Fortune magazine, a study was done, and as many as 26 million people a year are rejected by the machine before a person even looks at them. That's terrible. You don't want to be part of that. You know, you, you talk talk about the great resignation, right? And the, and the, the mismatch between the number of workers, the number of jobs that are open, right? And, and we're, we're, we're eliminating 26 million candidates without ever even looking at them. How many of those people had the skills, but because of something that the system was doing, you, you run into problems. So we've tried to take that into account in terms of how we evaluate. So we don't eliminate anybody. That's the, our, our system ranks them. And so it's possible that you could end up being ranked lower if you didn't have the skills listed on your resume. If we're looking for somebody with Java and bachelor's degree, and those things aren't written on your resume, well, we're not going to find them, right? A resume should have a good reflection of your skills and a good reflection of your experience so these parsers can pick that kind of information up. That's very, it reminds me of quite a few people that have started working with me and sent me their resumes, you know, because we had a consultation or they were new private clients of mine. And I opened the resume and every university they went to and every company that they worked at were added to the resume with a logo instead of written 
<laughs> I wish people could see your face as I say this. If you're listening, I might have to go to YouTube and, and watch Michael roll his eyes. <laughs> it is very common, Michael, for people yeah, to sure, think sure. that it's going to look great for the logo of that company. Let's say they worked at BMW and then they worked at Westfield and then they worked at a bank and they will add the logos there instead of work adding the, the company name. And the same with university. So you, you end up going through an automated system. And the misconception that people have as well, and I, you addressed it earlier, but I wanted you to reinforce that these systems are only important if you have a, a lower job. And you mentioned the case of the CFO. That was your example. Yeah, That's exactly. Anytime you are being asked to input your resume, and it, it's true, CEO jobs, COO jobs, that this, this kind of is, is going to be the challenge for you to be able to input that information easily and effectively into the system. It, you know, so there's, there's two factors to that. There's one, can the system pick up the skills that you've got? And two, how much work is it for you as a job seeker to have to manually redo all the stuff that the system couldn't read because your resume was formatted in a very attractive, but not particularly readable format? What people, of course, they don't realize this is that what about the recruiter who's trying to evaluate that stack of resumes without the advantage of a system like the Civ, where the first one is chronological, the second one is skills-based, the third one is experiential, the fourth one, you know, whatever, they're hunting and pecking all over the place trying to create similarities between these resumes. What ends up happening is recruiters are, they're, they're, they're doing a fast screen. If they don't see something they're looking for right away, they throw it away. And now suddenly you're in the reject pile. And it's, you know, again, it's not the fault of the recruiter. They've got productivity goals. They have to hit that you know they're looking for certain things and and may not recognize that they're skipping over something because you didn't put the dates when you worked for that company therefore they don't know how much experience you have That's simple things like point. that and michael i'd love to hear your views about keywords and the mm -hmm. right positioning of keywords within a resume i don't know if you've noticed this i i see this a lot both in linkedin profiles and people's resumes when they know that keywords need to be there, but they're just sort of all sort of, <laughs> they're added to resumes and LinkedIn profiles in a way that makes no sense. So right. nonsensical sentences and uh, just a lot of jargons, a lot of copy pasting, I believe, from maybe, yeah. maybe other people's profiles. And then it doesn't make any sense. The paragraph just doesn't, doesn't gel well with the information that sits below it, which are the, the, that's with the experience of that candidate and yeah. the jobs that they have. So I know what they're trying to do. I yes. just, and I wonder if the system is going to pick them up as qualified for the role and then hopefully there will be an opportunity there for the human eye, white eye to say, well, this doesn't sound right. Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a carryover from the very early days of job boards, right? Where you, you needed to have those in. We actually had a situation where so we were looking for somebody with SaaS customer success skills. And the system said they had our system evaluated the resume said, oh, they've got SaaS customer service skills. In our system, you can, you can click on the skill and we'll show you where it is in the resume. The four letters, S-A-A-S, did not appear anywhere in that order in that resume. Very puzzling. So I downloaded the resume and I highlighted all the text 
and I changed it all to black. The job seeker had pasted his resume on top of the job description and then changed all the job description text to white so you couldn't see it, wow. slipping in all those keywords. Well, we discovered it, you know, because it, it, it didn't it didn't make any sense how the, the, the system was being evaluated because it didn't, he, he got a score for it, but it didn't appear anywhere in his resume. Be honest about your skills. And this is, this is always the challenge, right? That years ago, there was a belief system that the resume was going to go away because so much of it was creative fiction. Well, the reality is resumes haven't gone away. And I think that the creative fiction part hasn't gone away either. You still have to be able to evaluate those kinds of things, which is why background checks are important, which is why challenging people on what they say their skills are is important as part of the interview process and so forth. You still have to have some sense of those kinds of things. And so if you're a job seeker, you should be reflecting the skills that you have. There are good, there are ways to do it that are more effective. Like let's say, let's say you've got Java skills. It's easy. We'll just say Java. You could have Java listed as a skill at the bottom of your resume, but you can't look at that and decide, well, how relevant is that? Maybe that was something they did 10 years ago. Is it related to any of the experience you've got where you were a Java programmer here and you were a team lead and maybe you were something else here? It's relating the skills to your experience can be very helpful in terms of people evaluating whether or not you your skills are relevant. Are they still fresh? Because some skills go stale pretty quickly. Is that something that the systems are able to acknowledge and correlate the the skill, let's say it says, with the date? No, well, our can system it, does. That's that's one of the criteria in, in um, our system. If, if it's a required skill, then we're looking for how long did you practice it and how recently did you practice it? Those are two, two indicators that, that we give to the user to understand because that, yes, the systems can do that. The parsers can do that because that's important. It's not just that you've got Java, but do you have Java five years? And have it used it in the last six months. But that could be a critical distinction between who you hire and who you don't hire. Uh, yes. In our case, that's a required skill versus a preferred skill. Preferred skill doesn't have any time period. It's just, you know, have you ever done it, right? Mm -hmm. But if you've got a required skill, how frequent, recently have you done it? And how long did you do it? Those things are very important to determining whether or not you're going to be a good fit for that job, whether you're using our system or any other system. Michael, I want to share with you coaching advice that I give. Now I'm giving everybody here for free too. And because <laughs> I want your, your views on this, I, I agree with what you said, that you have to have your keywords and your skills uh, highlighted in the resume and not skills you don't have. Sometimes a person may have been working in an organization for over a decade doing their job day in, day out. And it's only when they come to me that they realize that what they did was product management. Mm. It's just not something that was written down anywhere for sure. them. And then we realize that. So we have to re-educate ourselves in how we represent that work. And what I tell my, my clients and the people that do consultations with me is try to crystallize that with education. Don't pay to do a master's of project management or anything like that because you're unemployed and you're looking for work and you shouldn't be spending a lot of money, but crystallize that maybe with a certification, mm -hmm. something free that you can do at Coursera, maybe something you can do on LinkedIn, just so that it's solidified. So you have that experience and you will now rewrite those 
stop points under that job to explain that what you did was project management or product management during that period of time and to also provide extra weight to that experience. You, you did a certification to crystallize that. Would you agree that that's a good oh, way are, of those being? Are, those are hugely important. I, I was at one company at one point for almost 11 years. And in that entire time, I, I was working in logistics. But I did nine different jobs in 11 years. And you know, so you have to break out what it is that you're doing. That's the skill or the experience where the job title may not tell the story. You're doing yourself a disservice if you're not sharing that kind of information. And I love the idea of certifications because that shows a couple things. One, it demonstrates that you've got the skill, but two, it also demonstrates that characteristic of, of lifelong learning, that you're willing to invest in yourself, which is which is something that as a, as a, just as a characteristic itself, companies are looking for. You want people who are willing and able to learn new things because who knows what you're going to be doing two years from now, even in the same job. And so those are those are really important and great enhancers to the resume is is to break that out because again if if your if your title was you know manager of customer service you know is that enough to to demonstrate to somebody that you can do all the things that are related to that including managing the systems and managing people and so forth it's those are important things to do particularly if you've got some longevity with some with, with a particular organization that's great great to hear that Michael Michael I wanted to ask you about the bias and mm-hmm. how can technology assist in removing biases from recruitment and selection process. Give and give me a few examples that you can yeah. think of that where that has happened. Yeah, the the, the the challenge that we're still working through, I think, from a from an HR technology perspective, is that technology can add more bias than maybe you're aware of. That's a real challenge. Uh, I re- uh, reviewed a company not too long ago, and what they do is they they basically strip anything that's identifiable off the resume. They take the school you went away, they take the name of the company, they take all the dates. So it's left with nothing but the skills and the jobs and certainly no identifying personal information. The whole idea is now you're really evaluating without any sense of who that person was. It's it's tricky. Um, we say, for example, that, that our system doesn't eliminate bias, it ignores bias because all we're doing is we're evaluating based on what's on the resume. If it says job on your resume, you're going to get credit for it. And the next person, if it says job on there, you're going to get credit for it. The challenge you have is that who is then doing something with those candidates? This is the tricky part that companies have to come to grips with, that it's not often the technology that's skewing the picture. It's the fact that people are people are taking those candidates and then making decisions on those candidates that is no longer aided by a technology. You can have the greatest technology in the world. You can have the, the most um, unbiased process in the world. And we had a, we had a situation where where we were obligated by SLA to generate a slate that was at least 50% diverse, either female or uh, some sort of different ethnicity other than white. And we could demonstrate that we were we were achieving and exceeding that every single time. And the company said, well, how come our mix isn't changing? And we said very politely, because we're not the ones who are making the hiring. So That's you're, adding, that. you're adding a very diverse shortlist, yep. but then yep. from the shortlist onwards, it's 
a human decision. What's somebody making. doing with it? Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, this is where unconscious bias comes in. Sometimes it's conscious bias. Let's be honest. There, that does exist in the world. There's no question about it. And sometimes it, it's unconscious bias that, you know, well, I'm not going to take anybody who, you know, went to the, uh, you know, university in Melbourne because I really prefer people who went to school in Sydney. Okay. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden you've got a, a biased workforce that, you know, because the hiring manager went to school in Sydney. And that's just mm -hmm. a simple example. It happens, at, you know, with other metrics as well. Right. Michael, when you're working with clients and you're educating them on plugging in the keywords into the mm -hmm. system, right? Do they then get trained and do it themselves? And I'm wondering what are the what are the most popular things that employers yeah. like to plug into systems like yours or other ATS? Yeah. So the, the way we have our system set up is that you can either do it manually or the system will actually take the job description and parse it and tell you what all the skills are that you built into your job description and just pick from a list which ones you want to use. It's impossible to say which ones are the most popular because are we talking about hiring a nurse or are we hiring a programmer or are we hiring somebody in finance? All those things are going to have a different type. You know, maybe the most popular is can you use Microsoft Office products, you know, something like that. Yeah. But in terms of in terms of core skills, it's it's going to just it depends so much on what the job is. And I was wondering the reason fun. why I asked Michael is because I was wondering if there was bias in those skills that are often chosen, and if it could be a problem, for example, for professionals that are trying to change sectors. So you have changed yeah. sectors, but you know yeah. how hard it is to change yeah. sectors, and a lot of professionals find it very frustrating to get feedback. So let's say you're a financial controller and you spent a lot of time in the health sector and now you've applied to work in manufacturing and you know, you're not getting the results that you would expect, even though you're good with numbers, yep. you're good with budgeting and financial analysis. There's still that. Maybe it's a bias. Maybe there's some truth to it about specifics uh, within the sector. But do you see that happening when, oh, when yeah, employers are choosing the of metrics course. there? It is a great frustration for job seekers. There's no question about it. How do you distinguish yourself with transferable skills into other industries? Because even, even in times like now where, where qualified applicants are scarce, companies still are, you know, they think in a, in a sort of myopic way about just specifically what they want. They want a, a left-handed, red-headed wrench turner, you know, who understands, understands underwater welding. And if, if you don't have all those four skills, they're just going to ignore you. The, the way to get around that is how you pursue the jobs you're looking for in the first place. One of the podcasts of one of your folks that I listened to about mm -hmm. doing the research, connecting with the people as best you can who are potentially going to be hiring a good cover letter can make a difference. Now, the systems like ours and like applicant tracking system don't evaluate cover letters. But if there's a way you can get that in front of a person, then you get a chance that maybe they're going to look at you in a different way and have a different conversation with you. It's a challenge. There's no question about it. And I think it's always going to be a challenge. Now, there are some, you know, there are some companies that are a little more innovative that are using assessments or behavioral examinations of some sort. We, we partnered, for example, with a, a company called Think that looks at uh, uh, human potential. And it's it, it, it's whether or not you can handle stress or not handle stress. Are you creative or not creative? And so it's not, it, it doesn't matter what you've done. It's it's who you are, right? Those kinds of things can help the job seeker present a different face, but the company has to be willing to use them in the first place. Companies, you know, still, other than the more creative ones, tend to look for things that they know work rather than trying new things. Now, I think over time, as people just continue to deal with the scarcity of labor, 
companies are going to have to be more creative. Now, not only looking for people who who are from different areas and so therefore may not have the experience. It won't be a skill issue. It'll probably be an experience issue, right? Because if you've got the skills, you can pick up the experience. But it's also starting to look at non-traditional sources. So looking at people who have some sort of a, of a disability. Or in the U.S., one of the areas that people are, are really starting to target it is, is people who've retired but still want to work two or three days a week. Are you better off with somebody who wants to work three days a week than with somebody who's just there because they want the paycheck? You know, there are some really creative things you can do to tap other sources. But as a, as a job seeker, the the challenge is, it. I'll be honest, the challenge is it's a challenge. Yes. If you are looking to change industries, you're going to have to really do something to differentiate yourself from everybody else who's already in that industry because they've got a leg up over mm. you. Yes, and it's very tricky. Just the hour before uh, this catch-up, I spent with a professional on the West Coast of the United States, redoing not only her LinkedIn, but her Twitter account, her Mm -hmm. Instagram account, her Facebook account, because sometimes you are in a sector where you, you, you have to have that social presence everywhere. And she is now trying to change the way that she is perceived in the corporate sector. So it can be quite tricky. You, you have so many different ways that people can search and find you. And if you're, you send a confusing message about your personal brand, it will get picked up, right? So her message, her personal brand was all over the place because she was marketing herself now and in the past in different ways. So. I think it's very important for those that are listening to understand how important consistency is and not taking things for granted like a cover letter and the impact that it can have. Yeah, it's. A, I think the, the, that's really, really sound advice, particularly given today where so much more research can be done about a candidate before anybody ever even has them apply for a job. I had 150 people find me via LinkedIn last week. I don't know what they were looking for, but I know what the keywords were that they were looking for. If I was you know, trying to market myself in a certain way, I could be adjusting what's going on. Yeah. People are using this before they go through the traditional channel. So before you even know the job's available, before you even have a chance to apply, somebody's already potentially discounting. That's true. That's true. Michael, what would be your last and best tip for professionals out there hoping to apply for jobs and potentially going through ATS systems and and the resume save? Yeah, I, I think the look at the structure of your resume and have it be simple and clear. The number of times that I've looked at a resume that didn't work, that didn't parse well, you know, I can say, well, it's because they were trying to be fancy or they they weren't specific about when they had a skill, when they used a skill, they stripped all their skills out of their experience. And so their experience just talked about what they did, but it didn't talk about what they used to accomplish what they did. Mm -hmm. And and the linkage there is really critical to these kinds of systems, to the applicant tracking systems and companies like Resume Civ. If you don't have that linkage, then... when somebody's evaluating you, they're going to reject you. You're you're going to score low. The applicant tracking systems, in particular, it's it's very tricky because they'll put they'll put a letter grade based on some. AI information and recruiter doesn't often know what's inside that AI, doesn't understand how that black box is working. And so candidates are, are, they're not even being considered because if if you get more than, you know, 50 candidates, well, you're going to take all the ones that are A rated because, you know, you'll never even look at the B's and C's and maybe the B's and C's have what you need, but it just isn't positioned correctly because of the way the systems are reading it. You know, and and of course the key, the key with a lot of the AI systems that, that again, often gets lost, they learn because 
because people are telling them what they did with the information in the first place. If there's no feedback loop, how's the AI system learning that this was a good one and this one was not? And so that can skew the results. Some recruiters report their results. Other recruiters don't. It's it, it, There's a lot of work to be done in that space. That's for sure. Michael, I thought of a last question for you, and I have to ask because it's an important one. Let's say an, uh, a job candidate applies for a job at a big company like PwC. And then it applies for another job there and another job and another job. Those applications all be recorded and kept. And is that detrimental to that candidate's performance when they apply? So, yes, the ATSs will keep the candidate applications separate. Depending on how crazy it is, we we had at one of my clients, we had we would we would laugh every once in a while because we would get serial appliers. Mm -hmm. Literally, they would apply to 250, 300 jobs, not qualified. And so you'd start to get a pattern there. It, but the fact that you've applied to more than one job doesn't necessarily work against you because the applicant tracking system doesn't compare applications between jobs. If it's the same recruiter that has two or three jobs and you apply to all three of them, you might get some comparison by the recruiter, but it's it's not a negative thing and it does keep them separate because if you're applying for, say you're applying for a team lead job, you might have a different resume than if you're applying for a coding job or if you're applying for a finance job versus a customer service job, you could have a different resume and so it will keep those records separate so that they're evaluated fairly in the context. Okay. For those listening, I would add to what Michael said because I completely agree with what you said, but be careful not to apply for jobs that are at completely different executive levels. So one might be a much lower job paying job and yeah. the other one might be a much higher paying job. Then that would send red, you know, sort of signals to recruiters. They would think, well, this person doesn't know where they belong in the pyramid structure of an organization. So that could be or, or they're not really serious about their job search. They're just right. applying for a job. Uh, you know, I put up a sales job and we got 200 people who applied. It was for, it was to be SaaS sales. So technology, the most qualified person I got had nine years selling gardening supplies. And that was the most qualified person. So right. that's one of the challenges we have today is, is you could get a lot of job seekers, but how many active job seekers are there as opposed yes. to the people who are, who you, you have to go and find those passive job seekers. And, you know, it, it I, 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 different search. I put up a customer service manager and a customer service rep, and I got the same people applying to both jobs, which tells me they weren't paying attention. Nice. And so they, they didn't qualify for either one. You, know, you, oh. you can knock yourself out. It, it speaks to targeting your search as opposed to shotgunning your approach, as Absolutely. we say in, in the U.S. Shotgunning. Yes. You, 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 you're just trying too many places because you're not, you're not going to connect everywhere. That's for sure. I love when guests come to the podcast and just reinforce things that I've been saying for the past yeah. 125 episodes. <laughs> You're, really you're like on to you, something. Michael. You're really on to something. You, you've, got, you've got it going on, that's for sure. Oh, good. We just need to keep banging on that note. But the thing is, you can bang on that note, but then to actually do it is hard. And that's why I have my job, right? I can yeah, publicly yeah. come on this episode and say, look, you really need to do it. But the IP sits behind my coaching program. Because frankly, I wouldn't be able to do it in a large scale podcast show. It has to be tailored to you, the listener. And that's why it all works really well, because at least it educates people on what they need to do next and then they can go and 
get an action plan, find a coach, do some soul searching and, and reflection and, and have a better job hunting routine in the future. And talking about that, for those listening, I have a an online course, which basically you just click pay and it's yours. And you don't have to wait for me. You don't have to book a time with me. And it's packed with things. And it includes a resume template for the US, a resume template for Australia slash UK, because they're different, and a cover letter template. So if you're curious about, you know, what good templates look like, you can go to the Reset Your Career Program, access it, and not only you have those templates, but several other resources there. There's a full library filled with things for you to look at, plus the course. It's about four hours worth of teaching that may help you reset your career. And that's why it's called Reset Your Career. Everything here is named very appropriately. The Job Hunting Podcast, the Reset Your Career online course, it's all very simple, Michael. You know, you know, there's a, there's a great message in, in what you were just talking about, Renata, which is if you're trying to do it all from scratch, you're approaching it in the wrong way. Mm. Somebody has looked at this. Somebody has done the legwork to give you the assistance you need, give you the leg up, take, make use of those kinds of resources because you could just about guarantee that you're not going to think of something new. Good point. You know, why, why spend the time and do yes. the brain damage when the kind of resources like you present are just readily available? Take it. Thanks. Thank you, Michael, for that. And I really enjoyed our conversation today talking about business names. I love the name resumes. I think it's a great name. Well done. And I really hope that we can keep in touch. Maybe you can come on board maybe a year from now and tell us how things are progressing. I'd love to. Lovely to hear back from you. Yeah, we're very very excited about our future and and, uh, Lord knows recruiters need help. (laughs) Yes, they do. Well done. Thank you so much, Michael. Okay. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening to Michael and I discuss ATS and the recruitment and selection process. I found it really enlightening. I had a great time and I hope to have Michael back in the podcast sometime in the future. Now, at the end of this episode, you heard of us talking about Reset Your Career, which is my on-demand program that's ready for you at anytime. On-demand means you go to my website, renatabernardi.com, and you access it and it's yours to keep for life. And I think it's really important for those of you who need urgent help from me and also some of you who may not be able to afford private coaching one-on-one with me, which is much more expensive than Reset Your Career. Reset Your Career is a great small investment that will mean a lot in making your resume ATS compliant. But not only that, there's a, a ton, a ton of resources and masterclass in there to keep you busy and well-educated in how to engage with recruiters and how to start your job search. So please go to my website, renatabernardi.com. That's R-E-N-A-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-R-D-E.com. There will be links to it in the show notes and the description below. So have a look at that. Ciao for now, and I'll see you next time. Bye.